Welcome to the podcast of Apostles by the Sea Anglican Church in Rosemary Beach, Florida. You can find out more about us on our website at ApostlesByTheSea.com. Thanks for listening. Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus came down with the twelve and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all in the crowd were trying to touch him, for power came out of him and healed all of them. Then he looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven. For that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, Lord Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. At this time, we'd like to invite our children to go into Kids Church with my awesome wife, Ashley, right there in the back. This is ages fourth grade and under. We look forward to having them back there. church. So good to be in worship worship with you this morning. Well, I have to tell you before I start this sermon that this is a challenging text to preach. Luke chapter 6. It's called the Sermon on the Plain. And it's a lot like another sermon that Jesus preached called the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard of that one too. And let me tell you, I love preaching the Sermon on the Mount because it's beautiful, but also because it's an easier text to preach. It's an easier text for us to hear. It's an easier text for us to understand. And so what some people do when they preach on this text from Luke, what they end up doing is preaching on the other text from Matthew anyway, because it's an easier text to preach. And let me show you why. Let me show you why. Listen to what Jesus says. In his sermon on the plain in Luke, he says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Listen to what he says in Matthew. You you remember this. In the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so right off the bat, did you hear the difference? In Luke, Jesus says, Blessed are you who are poor. In Matthew, he says, Blessed 
are the poor in spirit. In Luke, he's talking about poverty, true poverty, just straight up being poor. In Matthew, he's talking about poverty of spirit. In Luke, he says, blessed are you who are hungry now. In Matthew, he says, blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Do you see the difference? Maybe, and maybe the biggest difference, after he tells us that we're blessed when we're poor and when we're hungry, and, when, and then he goes on to say when we're sad and, and when we're hated, he says that too. He then follows it up by saying this, and woe to you who are rich, and woe to you who have enough to eat, and woe to you who are happy, and woe to you who are liked by everyone. In, in, in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, there are no woes in that. He never follows up the blessings with woes. That's why it's easier to preach the Sermon on the Mount. Anybody want to hear the Sermon on the Mount this morning? <laughs> so the thing is, some people want to say, well, is this the same sermon, but recorded from different perspectives? Matthew recording one, Luke recording another. Other people think, well, no. Maybe this is two different sermons. Maybe Jesus preached this sort of sermon in a lot of places when he walked around. And this is just one that he preached to this particular group of people who needed to hear this particular message in that particular place. That's kind of what I think happened. I think he preached a message that sounded similar in lots of different places, but he crafted each one for his particular audience and what they needed to hear, what their hearts needed to hear. And so we're not going to preach the gospel of Matthew, Sermon on the Mount. We're going to preach this one. We're going to look at this one. And so how do we understand what Jesus said in Luke? How do we face these words, our Lord's words? How do we face them and not try to wiggle our way out of them? How do we let them say what they actually say? And how do we let them do their work in our hearts? How do we let them work their way into us? We're going to need God's help. And so I'm going to ask you to pray with me. So let's pray. Father, you are going to have to help us this morning to hear your son, to hear and to understand and to apply these words to our lives. Don't let us leave this place today without taking seriously what our Lord Jesus is saying this morning. Maybe some of us here need a complete reorientation of our hearts away from the things of this world and toward the things of your kingdom. Maybe I need that reorientation, God. I'm pretty sure I do. So Holy Spirit, do your work here this morning. Do your work in our hearts. Open our eyes and open our ears. Open our hearts to your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. All right, so let's start. Let's start by looking at the first blessing and the first woe. Okay, you ready? Here we go. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. We've already talked about how Jesus isn't talking about poverty of spirit here. He's talking about actual poverty. Blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are you when you don't have anything that the world 
values. Blessed are you when you have nothing that the world wants, for yours is the kingdom of God. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that most of us would not look at a person who is in poverty and say, they're blessed. Of course, that's what our Lord did when he was preaching the sermon. He was looking at them, blessed are you who are poor. But we wouldn't look at a person in poverty and say, that's a person who's blessed. You know, after the hurricane, we saw a lot of people over in Panama City and Lynn Haven and, and Parker, and they lost everything, so many of them. They lost their homes and their, their jobs, everything. And a lot of people that we saw, they were poor before the hurricane hit. And the hurricane only came in and made it worse. And I don't know about you, but it's hard for me to look at them and think, how blessed. Because when we think about the people who are blessed in this world, don't we think about the ones who have it pretty well? Their kids are happy and well-behaved. There's food on the table. They go on family vacations. They drive cars that don't break down all the time. And people like them. People talk about them and say nice things about them. People even aspire to be like them. Isn't that what we think of when we think of the people who are blessed? Aren't those the ones that we look to and think, goodness, God has really blessed them. And don't they even tell us sometimes? We see the photos of their families on a, on a vacation in the Swiss, 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 Alps, excuse me, Swiss Alps. I shouldn't have put that in there. I should have put some other place and then I wouldn't have had a hard time saying it. We see a photo of their family on some vacation in some exotic place. That would have been easier. And then underneath it on Instagram, it says hashtag blessed. Don't we see that? Ashley and I were behind a truck some years ago. And on the back window, the guy who owned it, it was this huge truck, lifted up. It, was, it, was, it had all this neat paint job on it and stuff. And it roared past us. And on the back window, in huge letters, it said hashtag blessed. And so we took a picture real quick. And now we send it to each other. Anytime we just want to kind of, I don't know, just have fun. Hey, babe, hashtag blessed. But most of us, when we say that we're blessed, when we say that something was a blessing, we usually mean it's something, that something good has happened to us. And we call it a blessing. It's usually something that the world would also agree with us is a blessing. All right, you know, there's some preachers out there, people who call themselves Christian teachers, and they'll tell you that what God wants to do is he wants to bless you with lots of stuff. Those people sell lots of books. And they fly around in lots of fancy planes because people really like to hear that message. But it makes me wonder what they do with a preacher like Jesus who says, you're blessed not when good things happen to you or when you've got lots of stuff, but you're blessed when you're poor. That's when you're blessed. You're blessed when you're poor, when you have nothing that the world wants or values. Why? Because when you have nothing else, that's when what you have is the kingdom of God. That's when the kingdom of God is yours. Okay, all that was very uncomfortable. This is even more uncomfortable. He says, woe to you who are rich. You've already received your consolation. 
How do we understand this? Especially since there's not a person in here today who would count as poor compared to any of the people that heard Jesus talk that day long ago. Every single one of us is rich beyond anything those disciples could ever have imagined. That's who we are. So how do we understand this woe? You know, I always hated it growing up when a preacher did everything he could to explain away something hard. And so I'm really going to try to do my best this morning not to do that. I'm going to try my best. Tell me after the service how I did. I'm going to try my best. But how do we understand this? As some of the richest people the world has ever known, how do we understand this woe? I think first we have to acknowledge that God has always had a heart for the least fortunate. He's always told his people to care for and to look out for the poor in their midst. Not to mistreat them or abuse them or to extort them or to wring every last cent we can out of them, but to care for them, to help them as our own brothers and sisters. One example is how he told the landowners and farmers back in the day not to harvest everything in their fields, but to leave some of the produce on the edges so that the the poor could glean from the fields and have something to eat, something to sustain them. Many of the festivals back then where animals were brought and sacrificed, and many of those God mandated that the animals be brought and sacrificed and then roasted and then shared with the whole community of Israel, poor and rich included. Everyone took part in the feast. God was providing sustenance for the poor. So first, let's acknowledge that God cares about the poor. He has a special concern for them as ones this world has little use for, as ones that this world would just as soon pass by. The Lord does not pass by. But second, something about the poor, something about the ones who are hungry, you know what might make them happy and blessed from God's point of view, which is actually the only true point of view that there is, is that there's no way for their hearts to be satisfied by any earthly thing. Because they don't have access to riches, they can't be satisfied with them. But for those of us who are rich, who can fill our lives up and our bellies up, and who can enjoy the nicer things in this life, it's easy for us to grow satisfied with the stuff that we see all around us right here. And that's the danger. There's no way for the poor to be satisfied with what they get in this life because they don't have lots of stuff to be satisfied with. But we who are rich, who can acquire lots of things and who can fill ourselves up with good food, it's easy for us to deceive ourselves and to start to believe that the riches and the houses and the cars and the money and the bank and the good food that we enjoy every single day. It's easy for us to believe that we're living the good life. And you might have even said it. Now this is living. Come to a place like this. This is the life. Aren't we living the dream? Quick, let's run down to the beach and take a selfie and post it on Instagram. Hashtag blessed. And if you did take a selfie of you and post it on Instagram this morning, it's okay. I want your friends to be jealous that you're in Rosemary Beach. C.S. Lewis said, we fool ourselves 
if we chase after what this world tells us is the very best that there is, because it's not the very best. Anytime we make the second best things our aim, anytime we aim for what this world can offer, we miss out on the best thing of all, which is God himself. Listen to this quote. Anytime you have to deal with a hard text, find a C.S. Lewis quote. He said, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant when someone offers him a vacation by the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Woe to you who are rich. Woe to you who are full. You have received your consolation and you will be hungry because what you have set your heart on and what you have allowed to fill yourself up, what you've allowed to fill yourself up with cannot fill you and sustain you forever. And so here's the best way without trying to wiggle out of it, here's the best way that I can understand it. For everyone who has nothing, for everyone who's poor, who is hungry, there's coming a day when you will no longer be poor and hungry because yours is the kingdom of God. And in God's kingdom, you will be filled to overflowing. But if you are filled here and full here, and rich here, there's coming a day when everything that you have will be lost to you. Because you can't take everything that satisfied you so much here with you. You can't take it with you into the kingdom. There's coming a day, which is the day of our death, when everything that filled you up here will be lost to you. And everything that once satisfied you will leave you empty. Does that make sense? I mean, it's a harsh reality because I don't want to be poor here. I don't want to go hungry here. But I also don't want my heart to ever be so satisfied here that my longing for this and not for God and his kingdom means that I miss out on what God wants for all of us. Okay, that's the way I think we have to understand that part of it. And I think it's the way we have to understand these next two things that Jesus says too. He said, blessed are you who weep, for you will laugh. But woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Blessed are you when men hate you, when people hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven. That is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. Okay, so I knew some guys back in high school. We worked at Chick-fil-A together. I know all about how you make chicken in the back of Chick-fil-A. If you want to know about that, talk to me after the service too. But anyway... These guys, they were, they were kind of haughty, and they, they were Christians. They belonged to a church that encouraged them to hand out really mean facts to people and carry signs and yell at people coming out of clubs late at night in Pensacola. 
And they would always come in to, to work at Chick-fil-A. They were always so excited about how hated they were for the sake of God. They would always, and they want to tell me stories about how angry the people got at them that night, how they almost got into fights. And I wouldn't believe the horrible things. People would yell at them if I had been there. John, you should come along sometime. Thank you. But they were so excited because they were hated and reviled. And they would point to this verse and say, see, we're blessed. And I wasn't as big as I am now. I was younger than them and I didn't know what to do. But I used to think to myself, when they would, whenever they would tell me these stories, do they hate you because you love Jesus? Or do they just hate you because you're jerks? <laughs> I don't know about you, but I've known quite a few people who were convinced that they were this verse embodied. Like they, 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 this is who they were day in and day out, reviled and hated and persecuted because of how much they loved Jesus. When in reality, they were just jerks. That's not what Jesus wants us to be. Instead, what he actually wants is he wants us to be so faithful to him that we'll love the people that he loves and that we'll choose the thing that he chooses and that we'll value the things that he values, which is often what the world thinks has no value at all. He wants us to be so conformed to him as his followers that we would look like and act like and love like him. And what happened to him when he came and he looked like and acted like and loved like he did? The world hated him and reviled him. And eventually they wanted him dead, so they crucified him. That's why we're blessed if the world hates us for loving him because it treated him like that. The more we look like him, the more the world will hate what we look like. And it can't be anything other than a blessing if we're becoming more like him as his followers. And really, I think that's the best answer of all about all these blessings and woes. I think we find our best answer by looking at our Savior Jesus, who lived an absolutely perfect life and was perfectly pleasing to his Father in heaven. And surely he's the one who's most blessed of all. And yet didn't he become poor? And wasn't he stripped of everything? And didn't he know hunger? And didn't he come and weep in agony and in pain? And didn't men revile him and hate him and spit on him? And wasn't he excluded and mocked and defamed and ridiculed? And yet, wasn't the cross of Jesus the place of Christ's most extreme poverty? Wasn't it also, wasn't the cross also the place where all the blessings of heaven were unleashed for this world? That's why he can say, Blessed are you who are poor, and blessed are you who are hungry, and blessed are you who weep, and blessed are you who are reviled and hated and excluded because of me. Because he became and endured all those things for you and for me on the cross. 
And by inhabiting that place of poverty and hunger and rejection, by entering into them and taking all of that onto himself, he made them all holy. And what he wants most of all is he wants to make all of us holy too, just like him. That's why he came down that day, down the mountain and stood on that level plain, just right alongside everybody else. That's why he came down to be with us and preach this difficult message of blessings and woes because he wants us to know what's at stake in this life. And he doesn't want us to miss out on the joy that awaits those who give themselves to him. So may we be filled today with awe and with wonder and with worship for such a savior as Jesus, who became poor so we could become rich in his kingdom. And may we never be so satisfied by anything this side of heaven that we miss out on the true blessings that he came to bring. Amen.